Hi dancers, dance moms, and dads, and dance educators. I'm your host, Melissa Kraushorn. My background in dance includes working with summer programs at Boston Ballet, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, Miami City Ballet, San Francisco Ballet, the Joyce Theater's Dance Education Program, Freed of London, and Penn State Center for the Performing Arts. I'm passionate about providing young dancers and their parents with resources and tools to create the career they want and love in dance. You can learn more at my website or connect via Instagram or Facebook. Please take a moment to give Beyond Point a like and a review and share with a friend. Enjoy. Bill Wade, founder and artistic director of the Cleveland-based Inlet Dance Theater, joins Beyond Point. I first encountered Bill's work through a mutual friend and have had the pleasure of seeing him at work in the studio with his company and seeing the premiere of his work in collaboration with author Kobe Yamada's What Do You Do With an Idea a few years ago. Bill received the 2012 Cleveland Arts Prize and an award for outstanding contributions to the advancement of the dance art form from Ohio Dance in 2013. Previously, as an artist-in-residence at Cleveland School of the Arts, he founded The Yard, Youth at Risk Dancing, a nationally recognized and awarded after-school program. In 1998, he received the Coming Up Taller Award at the White House from the National Endowment for the Arts and the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities. Bill's work has toured domestically and internationally. He was chosen by Ohio Arts Council, the Ohio Arts Foundation, Playhouse Square Foundation, the U.S. Department of State Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, and the American Embassy in Santiago for an international artist exchange program with artists from Easter Island. Inlet Dance Theater was the first American modern dance company to perform on the island. Bill utilizes dance to further individual growth, which is why his story will resonate with dancers at all stages of their careers and will provide parents or mentors with a framework to guide their students. I'm so glad to be able to just hear from your experiences in all the areas of dance and dance education that you've worked in. How would you describe the main components or essence of your teaching pedagogy? There have been a lot of experiences and a lot of them are outside the traditional box. So I am like the poster boy for outlier, <laughs> even in the industry. I think big picture, because, you know, I'm the founder and the executive director of Inlet Dance Theater, which is the professional company in Cleveland. And we have, you know, education programming is a thing that we do. We've sort of divided them into two, like on paper, we have it in two different columns. One's called inflow, where people come to us and we have outflow programming where people go out. Those have very different end goals in mind. Outflow programs, you really have your goals determined through conversation. Um, there's this art of asking the right question with your clients, whether it's like a school or a residency program or university or whoever we're the provider for. For inflow, it depends on the program itself. Um, what, you know, whether it's a summer dance intensive that has a very specific end goal in mind, uh, the inlet training apprentice program, which is kind of a retread program for people that have finished like their BA or the BFA or their MFA. Um, and they want to mm -hmm. transition into the marketplace. We do have people in that program that like decided not to spend all that money on a degree to become an artist and they're, you know, just want professional training. So they're in there. Mm -hmm. So like the end goal has everything to do with how we approach our pedagogy. You know, I performed when I was in my twenties and thirties, like in the eighties and part of the nineties. And um, I worked for dance companies that had this old school model of like, we did all this performing on stage, but then like we had to do education programming and they were vastly different things. And mm -hmm. I, the more I was involved in it, the more I noticed that like, Hey, we're kind of like using this education money. You know, the organization I'm dancing for is using this education money to pay for, pay for the art making practice of the, you know, lead choreographer. 
And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I kind of felt like, man, we're kind of like using kids to, you know, pay for our art. And I don't know about that. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I developed a, a paradigm from just for myself. And then, you know, it's become the one for the company um, is I don't view teaching and performing as different. Part of that, it's easy for me to see it that way because we are, you know, a contemporary dance company that's rooted in American modern dance. So mm-hmm. I know that like good 80, 85% or more of my audience base, no matter where we are, have probably not ever taken like a modern dance technique class like Eric Hawkins or Martha Graham or Merce Cunningham or, you know, any of these techniques. So right. the, as soon as you start performing on a stage, it's just a different facet of teaching actually. Um, and to know that like for the dancers in the company, it's not about you, you know, dance for vanity, seeking attention or whatever. It's you're, 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 you're setting up a, communication like a dialogue with the audience the art's not done until they're there and there's this feedback uh, and oftentimes depending on the theater that we're in we get to do a Q&A thing but so in the studio whether it's teaching or creating for the concert stage we have a collaborative creative process here and it, there's a lot of communication that goes back and forth you know when whether we're working with students and like there's summer dance intensive or um, but I think mm-hmm. that like looking at performing and educating as like sort of a whole, like it's a ball that's rolling um, and, and getting mm-hmm. bigger as it goes down the hill, kind of the snowball theory. I think that we're finding it does a lot of spinoff things like, you know, audience development and it's really good marketing and it turns into word of mouth. And, you know, we populate social media with what's happening and the aha moments that people are having whether they're, you know, two or three or four or like 82, 83, 84, that, you know, this whole, this Mm -hmm. whole spectrum. So I think that the paradigm of seeing the two as one and the same for us is really working. Um, Not everybody does it that way, but it is definitely working for us. Um, The other thing I think is getting people, regardless of age, involved in the dance making process itself. It opens things up. It lets people in. Um, people get to be seen, they get to be heard. And for a lot of the people that we do that with, oftentimes it's their first experience being involved in like a major art making endeavor with professionals in the room with them who are sort of non-judgmental and open and asking them for their ideas. Because there's a paradigm inside of that of like people are the experts of their own lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And those vantage points are super different than one another, depending on who you have in the room. Um, and they might all look the same, but once you start talking to them individually, man, the vantage points are so vastly different because lived experience is so, you know, subjective and and personal. And so we, it's, it's great for, it's informative in the dance making process. Right. Um, so Mm -hmm. we, we strive, we strive to create an environment that's focused on making sure everybody's curious. Um, it's experience-based learning includes all as many multiple voices as physically possible whether it's literally sitting down in a story circle, which we'll get into in a minute, but, um, or it's curated, you know, facilitated by a lead driver in the room. We use Liz Lerman's critical response process during mm-hmm. the creative process, um, no matter who we're with. And it, we kind of have realized that the process is great for like a Q&A session after a concert, right? But um, mm-hmm. you can use it in the studio. And, and then if you, if you kind of use it sort of like, we use it like, it's like a continuum. So like if we're doing teaching a strict like Hawkins, Eric Hawkins, you know, release technique class, it, it's on this end of sort of the spectrum. But if we're like doing non, you know, Palabla space, non-traditional partnering or uh, structured improvisation, then they're way over on the other end of the continuum as far as 
engagement and feedback. So you kind of have to know, like, if you're the lead facilitator, you have to be aware of like where your hand is on that dial, right? Um, as you're going mm-hmm. from one to the other. And, and it's, it's like simple things like asking people, okay, what did you know? Like, it's usually you ex- experience something and then you kind of have a moment to evaluate something because evaluated experience is probably the best teacher. Um, so mm-hmm. we kind of go with that. Like we'll give prompts and everybody in the room, including the dancers and the company or whatever, we'll, we'll do the thing and then we'll stop and we'll start asking questions like, okay, what did you notice? And then several people will... Um, you know, the more you do this, the more comfortable people get, you know, over time. What did you notice? And you, you switch out of that to anything you experience, remind you of something. And you get these crazy, like, childhood memories or, like, remember that movie and that one scene when this happened or some TV show or, you know. It, so, and then, we, mm-hmm. then we, we go to, like, what questions do you have? If you know your craft, that will tell you what to do next. I mean, you walk in it with a plan, mm-hmm. but you need to, like not hold so tightly to your plan you know <laughs> you have to be willing to let your fingers get pried from your plan a little bit sometimes because you mm-hmm. you get surprised by like oh this group certainly wants to go in this direction let's follow their leads and that's another sort of pedagogical kind of construct follow the lead of of the people in the room to a point i mean people don't know what they don't know so you're there to introduce something to fill to fill that right. gap but once you do then you have to really start listening, right? Um, and then like with larger groups, when we have a big project, like a commission or something where we're supposed to engage, you know, this part population right here, uh, for example, we use um, human-centered design thinking, um, which has, it's really just the creative process, but like business people like had an aha moment where they actually understand, it's more for product development, uh, um, like mm-hmm. how to make something that, you know, actually works <laughs> and looks cool. Um, so it's like you start with yeah. defining what is the problem that you have. Or for us, it's like, okay, we're going to create this piece about blah, blah, blah. Um, and then everybody understands um, in the room. You do your story circle. And you begin, then you begin the process of what's called ID8. Um, we call it throwing spaghetti. Um, you, just, you just like start <laughs> making stuff. And you go for quantity and not quality. And then you start to go through in, into a phase of like, or let's look at this list and see what's actually possible. And going back to what we defined earlier, what actually is a direct connection. Then you start testing, evaluating, or researching and developing in the studio with those people. Or, you know, sometimes it's, we do these sessions with the people and we go back to our studio, do stuff, film it, bring it back. Mm-hmm. And then, so we test and evaluate and we prototype and then questions come up and we have to redefine. And, and there's, it's like iterative and it's like cyclical. And, and eventually after the prototypes have been tested out and, and the, what we call the touch points, like people are like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I really get it now. Then you're finally, mm-hmm. eventually you're to the place where you can produce and share. So seeing the whole thing as a process to get people engaged in and depending on the scope and the scale and the, and the time as part of that equation will tell you how deep you're able to go. Because sometimes it's more like a, a wide, shallow pool and other times you get to do a deep dive. As an educator, how do you assess or understand what a dancer needs from you in the studio? You've talked about this a little bit about kind of following the lead, but gently guiding along the way. Um, What does that look like for you? So part of it is like, you really need to know your stuff. (laughs) Like, (laughs) which weird, like when it was so much harder when I was younger, you know, my second decade of doing this and I'm, you know, moving into my fourth decade of doing this. And this is way easier (laughs) now because I think that I've, actually figured out a lot so and then and then it's also kind of having a really solid grounding of like 
where am I supposed to be? Like, what's your sphere of influence? Or like, you know, in my, in my own personal vocabulary, it's like, what is your calling? So like, and then like dance theater, mm-hmm. there's a dance company. We know that we know that we're in the marketplace of concert, dance, and education, right? So we're a touring organization. We perform in theaters. We, and then a lot of times mm-hmm. those, those experiences are attached to like, go to that college or, or that's the college that's presenting you to begin with in the Performing Arts Center and, and create, you know, programming. And then when we're serving as a provider to that sphere, we have to go to great lengths to understand the context of why they asked us to be there and then how we might best serve what they're after because they have an overall goal. Our goal becomes their, what they're trying to get done. And sometimes I have to sit down and say, yeah, okay, so master class, I understand you want us to teach a master class, but like big picture for you and your job at that university, what would really, really help you? It's funny how many, evidently not a whole lot of people kind of ask those types of questions when they're coming through. You're kind of permission granting and door opening for people to, to explore this strange new world called dance through conversation questions asked, find out what they want and how we might best serve them. I've been really kind of surprised at um, some of those answers actually. And I think it's super important to understand, first of all, what is your why? Like start, start with why there's that mm-hmm. book by Simon Sinek. Why are we wanting to bolster this or why this new market initiative or, you know, um, and then, cause once you understand why you're there, why you're teaching that master class and what the whole, why they want you there and uh, that, then you'll know immediately what you, the what of you're going to do. And then actually, hopefully mm-hmm. if you're mindful how you're going to do it also, um, cause that has to shift depending right. on what the why is. So I think each thing, each program, like it has a specific end goal or each client that you work with. And once you're clear on that, then you can move forward. It's kind of another way of looking at actually human centered design thinking, right? Because sort of the product at the mm-hmm. end is that educational moment, that experience. It's not like a, you know, a, a widget or something you hold in your hand. It's like an experience that you have. So, and I think mm-hmm. having, again, going back to the beginning of this is like, if you have a really good grasp on your craft, you've done your 10,000 hours. Thank you, Malcolm Cloud. Well, um, <laughs> he's not wrong. Once you lay all of that out, then as soon as people begin to move, they kind of like their bodies and their questions tell you what they're interested in learning next. And that that's where that flexibility comes in. And you can kind of follow them. And I have company class where I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody's bought, their spines are just so immobile. I'm going to pivot what I thought I was going to give them as a warm up, getting ready for rehearsals so that they can get through rehearsals without being in so much pain with their spine, you know? So, and just, yeah. but I can do that because I know this stuff like the back of my hand and that takes time to get there. Um, and I'm always mm-hmm. learning. I think that the best teachers are voracious learners themselves. What do you consider essential for healthy dialogue during the creation and collaboration process of creating work? That has a lot to, well, so the scope and scale comment earlier, like you got to do that first. Mm-hmm. Like how, like it, 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 simple things like, like how many resources do I have? And resources is not just the cash flow. Who's on the project? Right. How much time do we have? Where are we doing this? It has a lot to do with the sort of the scope and scale of the project, but kind of overall, it, like our larger pro- projects. Okay, we did um, the Ohio Arts Council called me and, and at, they said that mm-hmm. they're going to start this thing called Creative Aging Ohio. Uh, it's a new initiative, and mm-hmm. um, so they were like, because I have a you know a working relationship. They've known me for years and years and years. Um, and they felt comfortable saying like, and I said, okay, give me a brief description on your vantage point of what you just said out loud. What does that look like? If I'm going to start on this, this new initiative to create creative aging, 
initiative for you guys. I want to know what is the, what, you know, what are the data points you're looking for? What is, you know, what do outcomes look like? What, do, you know, impact look like? So in Cleveland, there's this part of town called University Circle, where it's like the orchestra's there, mm -hmm. the art museum's there. So it's like the hub of all like the big museums. That's where they're seated. And these two uh, residential homes, um, graduated care facilities, are both on different parts of University Circle. And I learned had, like a decade earlier, the people that live there are some of the people that like helped create Cleveland Institute of Arts. So, like there's this incredible, mm. super awesome stories. So, so we went in and we did like a performance and we did a feedback session using, you know, Liz Lerman's critical response process. And then, and then we explained mm -hmm. what the project was that we entitled building Cleveland and that the, you know, who the funder was and what they mm -hmm. were interested in. We sit them down, we do story circles, we document everything. We go back to the studio and we conducted like, you know, research and development kind of like they, they kind of in the story circle, that's like the ideating phase. Right. So then we would go to the studio and start to mm -hmm. begin to build. And then we would uh, film certain things would pop. Like I remember one of the ladies was like, you know, this city used to be known as the city of bridges because we've like literally every kind of bridge imaginable downtown. Um, so I did a bunch of homework. Mm -hmm. I did it, you know, and I was like, I think that we can make, because of sort of my background is working with Allison Chase, so the Palabalist DNA is very obvious in the company. So I was like, let's make bridges out mm -hmm. of our bodies, but let's like follow how bridges were created back in the day when they made them in Cleveland so that, you know, there was this research. I ended up at the History Center. Um, we took a lot of them with us to the History Center, walked them around, and they were looking at items that were like memory prompts. Um, so we're documenting all this stuff. We go mm -hmm. to the studio, figure out which are the ideas that we know that we can do with our bodies, film that stuff, bring it back to the story circle, have them watch it, get feedback from them about like, oh, you should do this. I, I remember there was, <laughs> uh, we had a story from somebody who said that she remembered in the, in the six, or 60s or 70s, I can't remember, um, when the army tanks were going down Main Street downtown because of the civil, civic um. unrest, <laughs> not unlike right now, uh, ironically. And she said, yeah. and I was like, I think we could make an army tank out of our bodies. So we did that. We created an army tank. And I brought the film back and the same woman said, you're going to need to put a photograph of an army tank on the scrim behind them so that people understand that's what that is. And I personally would never mm -hmm. do that spoon feeding thing as a choreographer. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know what? You're in the seat of being a choreographer and you're very clearly determined that that, <laughs> that needs to happen. And there were so many moments like that. It wasn't about the army tank. It's about that, like, yeah. allow people to have their thumbprint and in, in result. And, you know, I'll be darned. She was right. People got it. And <laughs> she, I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah. it's yeah. like gathering that feedback. Uh, we do that process several times. And then we eventually, we brought them to the, the um, studio. We shared with them, like, a whole chunk of the production that we were creating, multimedia production. And sat down and did yeah. another story circle of feedback. So it's iterative. Um, now, this is a situation where we had the funding and we carved out the time in our, in our season to, to do this enormous. It took us two and a half years. But here's the result. Mm. When we did the result at um, a local community theater um, st uh, stage that's not used to doing dance, and we were like the first dance company to perform there. So that was a learning curve for everybody. We sold out. <laughs> So getting people involved wow. in the making process is actually also ticking the box of great audience development as well. Because then you've got this, this group mm -hmm. of people, you know, and it was 
the families of these elderly people brought them to the theater. So the whole family, so like you get like three generations sitting in that row together, watching wow. grandma's story. And some of them, it was, that was grandma talking on the screen just now because of the film that we use. Um, and then the scene unfolds. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting, sort of the excitement that the little kids have, like, I just watched grandma's story happen on the stage. It pulls, I mean, this is why we call the company Inlet. It's like this point of entry, let them in. And I think that we've we've kind of stumbled across something that's really, really working in the community because, you know, and then they'll come back to the next production and they give you feedback that even though it has nothing to do with the experience that they had with the piece called Building Cle or Cleveland, they they like mm -hmm. watch other work in the repertory and say, you know, I actually understood that because I was in that process before. And it's and then you you're mm -hmm. you're sort of like again using performances and the performing making process to educate people. So that when they're coming to the concerts, no matter what the topic is, they, they feel that they've been let in and they understand the process and the product a little bit bigger. How do you mentor dancers through the paths of being a student, an educator, a professional dancer? Right. So I'm also somebody's dad. And so I, I get the need. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's 25 living on his own in L.A. He's doing well. Um, so but it, mentoring is mm -hmm. huge in our company and it's best when it's protege, protege driven. That doesn't mean the parent, it mm. means the child. <laughs> Assess what the student is interested in doing or becoming. And part of the problem I've learned with the parents not feeling so comfortable about this is the fact that maybe this kid doesn't, isn't super, super clear. You know, I want to perform in a company. Okay, mm. what kind of company? What kind of work do you like? Are you even aware of what's out there before you even say that? If not, maybe you should go to undergrad, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's all of these like things that you listen for. Yeah. Um, maybe I want to teach you university. Like right now I've got a, a dancer who's been with me for 17 years. He's about to retire. He's realized I should expand what I know and get an MFA because I've got a kid on the way and then I can like support my family with a job at university. And I have things that I'm interested in exploring. So that mm -hmm. work for, is working for him. Um, do you want to become a choreographer? What style of work? Who are the choreographers that, you know, again, if you don't know that yet, then you should go to school for that at a university. Um, some people are like, you know, I love this dancing thing, but I really want like an administrative job because I'm academically really wired and that's kind of stronger than my ability to get my leg over my head. So, you know, and then we push them in the direction of arts administration <laughs> and like kind of open that out. Or, you know, I've got a dancer in my company who's a massive yeah. therapist. So he loves doing that on the side, mm -hmm. you know, obviously making more money doing that. So it has a lot to do with the student. And it yeah. has a lot to do with listening to them, mm -hmm. um, taking in what the parent wants, but also you know, for some people, I have to unpack the fact that education doesn't necessarily mean a degree. Um, you know, I was a trainee at the, at mm -hmm. the um, professional training program at Milwaukee Ballet, you know, 100 years ago. And um, I learned more in my one year as a trainee and with that company than I did the two years of undergrad I had under my belt already. So because I wanted to dance, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to perform. So it depends on what the outcome right. is. Who was a significant part of your dance education? And what do you continually draw from those experiences? I've been now? very blessed in that, you know, first of all, I didn't start dancing until I was 18 and in college, speaking of college, because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was, I was an artist and I wanted, <laughs> here's what's funny. Mm -hmm. I really liked three-dimensional art. Um, so I did sculpture as a kid. I grew up doing art. I grew, came out of the womb knowing that I was wired to be an artist for some weird. I find now that that's not a common experience, but I've always, know, I've always known that I was supposed to be an artist. 
And so I did drawing and painting and music and vocal mm -hmm. music and instrumental music. And then, you know, I uh, was a gymnast when I was young because I was kind of hyperactive. My mom's like, go over there and exert all of that. Um, so and I loved it. And then I loved <laughs> three dimensional art. But then when I saw modern dance for the first time, for me, it was like recognizing the medium that I was intuitively searching for. But I didn't have like a tag to, to, to hang on it. Like I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen, you know, Palabalus in the theater. I'd never seen, you know, Ailey's company until those experiences in college. Right. So college is the, the best, like for so many of us, the moment where like, I didn't know that that was even out there kind of moment. And so um, yeah, I think that the people that I met in that, so I went to University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee for two years and then Milwaukee Ballet, like I said. But um, in that time, like my first mm -hmm. modern dance teacher uh, was Clyde Morgan, who was Jose Lemon's protege. So I was very blessed right away mm -hmm. with world-class people in the studio training me. And I was so yeah. hungry that I had, I knew nothing, but I was aware of it because I actually knew quite a bit about art and I had scholarships for my art. Um, so I was like, I need to catch mm -hmm. up. So, and I think that being so curious and such a voraciously hungry person, um, these world-class people were like, oh, you just need training in your body. You've got everything you need. You know, they, they trained me. And I think that, you know, like Clyde Morgan from Jose Limon um, did all of Jose's job uh, roles when he retired, hanging out with Allison Chase, hanging out with Bessie Schoenberg. So for me, it's very relationship driven. And I it's like mm -hmm. I walk around with this culmination of all these looking back. Oh, wow. They were really famous. I didn't know that at the time, which is why I asked so many naive questions, you know. <laughs> um, but I think that I was very, very blessed that yeah. I got to work with a lot of, you know, Robert Ellis Dunn. I spent time with him in the studio. Um, not realizing fully at that moment at 19, 20 years old that he's like the founder of postmodernism and dance. So I was very, very blessed. So I very much yeah. want to repay, um, pay back and pay it forward. Um, and that's sort of the model that the company follows. Having the humility to kind of realize like I had no business being in so-and-so studio or in so-and-so studio, so-and-so studio. I'm so blessed that I yeah. had those opportunities. I can't wait to give that, that information particularly to people who don't have access to it. Because everywhere I go, talent is universal. Access to, to development of that talent mm -hmm. is not. It's unfair. We're having a lot of current day sort of issues related to some yeah. of this. And for so for th over 30 years, I've been in that mm -hmm. space of sort of like, you know, racial and other kinds of right. justice, uh, delivering this world-class information to people. And I want to create a space. Well, I have. I mean, the company... Mm -hmm. We turned 20 years old in 2020. So um, and I, I also find that having grown up an extremely dysfunctional family myself, which ironically, one of my greatest assets, you know, I've kind of learned to asset map my experiences growing up. And some of it was, you know, pretty horrible. Um, and but that gives me sort of mm -hmm. a ground to stand on to look at somebody else's whose current experience is pretty horrible and say, I made it out. So can you. You know, and, and that actually, I've watched that comment mm -hmm. stick. Yeah. And, you know, some of these kids now have their MFAs and they're running their own ballet companies or whatever. Um, so it, it works. It just, it does take mm -hmm. that perspective and that humility. You got to get your ego out of it. What would you encourage young dancers and their parents to look for when considering dance training and looking yeah. at teachers they want to oh, train gosh, with? That's so important. There's, I've had the awkward conversation with more than one mom of like, okay, your child, your son, I'm thinking yeah. of one of my company members, actually the one who's a the mesotherapist now also, 
he probably shouldn't go to the Ohio State University for criminal justice. I think that this one is going to end up being a soloist on the stage and he's going to tour nationally, internationally with his company. And there was 18 months of um, glares and stares and, and, but now just the opposite because um, he's just flourished. And she's like, I had yeah. no idea. And I'm like, again, he had enough exposure in high school that he came to our summer camps because of the theater program at his school that you even, I mean, you went to all of his plays and everything because you saw there's something here. And it turns out she has the same thing when she was younger and didn't get to do it, right? So there's like all of this embedded information that you kind of have to mine. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with like, again, let's talk about your child. Uh, you know, if there, you, you, I've dealt with this too. Like there's a little girl, she's like, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be in that company. And they're like, they're super clear. It's like 16, they're like weird. Um, and you're like, so I wouldn't spend a mm -hmm. hundred thousand or more on an undergrad program when that's, she doesn't want to write papers about ballet people. She wants to be one of them. Let's, let's try that. And there's other kids whose parents I'm like, he, he there's a, you are right, mom. There's a whole lot that he doesn't mm -hmm. know. And he needs to do that first. So it's literally, again, conversation mm -hmm. with the parents and kind of con more conversation with the person. And kind of what is it that you want to do? How much about this mm -hmm. do you actually know about? Um, and I, I've run into these weird kids that are like super clear. And you're like, okay, then go to professional pro training program mm -hmm. because that will educate you to become what you want. So it's super individual. What have been or are milestones for you as you look back on your journey as an artist, educator, and collaborator? Uh, again, I've been very blessed. I've had some crazy experiences. You know, hanging out with Clyde Morgan, he became like a dad to me for two years. I never told him that to his face. It was too embarrassing. Um, but internally, it was literally like, <laughs> will you be my dad? <laughs> um, and, um, and he did. And um, yeah, I think that yeah. for me, it's like super key relationships. Allison Chase is brilliant. Brilliant. She's the genius, but she's also kind, totally truthful, like frighteningly mm. truthful, but also non-threatening in her delivery of that truth. She has that like truth and love balance. <laughs> Milestones are mm -hmm. things like you win a big award at the White House and you're like, I remember flying home from the White House going, I know that I don't really understand what the significance of this award from the National Endowment for the Arts but it is one of those moments that I need to take in, like I'm getting somewhere with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I'm in, you know, I find myself in, in Albertville, France in 1992 for the Winter Olympic Games because I choreographed a short program for one of the freestyle skaters from Chinese Taipei from Taiwan. There's so many, it's really interesting how like, if you really focus on your craft and you're like serious about do the hard work. Yeah, I've been up at 2 a.m. writing that freaking grant proposal. Or, or trying to you know, staring at the screen and like, why isn't this moment working? And I got to figure this out before tomorrow's rehearsal, you know, because we filmed it on the iPhone or whatever. Actually yeah. doing the really hard work, roll up the sleeves, get dirty, you know, do the, do the thing. And if you stay in that place of voracious learning and super, super curious, you, you get these like awards and tchotchkes along the way mm -hmm. that tell you like, okay, NEA, that's kind of a big deal. I can't wait to get to rehearsal tomorrow, you know, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, because those moments kind of inform you <laughs> that you're getting somewhere. And, and I say that knowing fully, like a lot of people never have those experiences. And um, so when you do, or like that article in the paper or that yeah. standing ovation or what, you know, kind of take in those things, not to fill your ego, because that's dangerous. Um, but as, as a sign that like, ah, oh, I think I'm mm -hmm. figuring some stuff out. And you, that makes you more curious to go back and, and work on the craft. Yeah.
But I think that aha moment where that, that yeah. moment of connection and change happens is my favorite thing. Thanks for listening to Bill's story. His website is in the show notes so you can learn more about his company and work. Takeaways from today's episode for you to consider in your own life. What is your why with dance and how does that connect to your sphere of influence? Is what you're currently pursuing putting things in place for you to achieve your desired outcome? So is what you're doing now matching up with where you're trying to go? Do you have a clear idea of what you want to do? You may have immediate gut reactions to these questions, or you may need time to consider them further. Maybe it's time to have your own story circle, like Bill does with his team when creating work to constantly check in, maintain connection, and move forward with confidence. So take a moment, consider who your team is, who's on your side, who's helping you in this journey, and check in with them. Be inspired, be brave, be on point.